All right, we are ready to begin. We are ready to begin. If you'd like to come in and find a seat. Welcome back again. I encourage you, if you haven't connected with uh, Mike Crater back there, talk to him uh, after the service. He's got uh, information back there. And, and maybe pray if God might be um, calling you to connect with that ministry and, and helping to send Mike out as a missionary to uh, the colleges. I also want to highlight this morning our church newsletter. I don't know if you've seen our new uh, colorful newsletter. Um, this goes out by email every week, and this is also printed out uh, for you to pick up every Sunday morning out in the lobby. If you're not receiving it by email and you want to, there is a sign-up uh, uh, sign connection on our church website. Go to the church website and click. can't remember the tab now, sorry. <laughs> click one of the top tabs, and you'll see sign up for newsletter. <laughs> Um, and uh, you will uh, be able to add your address to the, to the newsletter email list. So it comes out like every Thursday or Friday, um, and so you'll be able to, able to sign up for that. Uh, this morning we have sermon notes, green sermon notes, uh, that are on the back table. There are pens back there, there are Bibles. So if you didn't get sermon notes this morning, be sure to run back right now and, and get some. Uh, because you need sermon notes for, for this morning. In fact, James will give you one. If you uh, raise your hand, he, he's right back there, and he will, he will give you sermon notes this morning. We are launching out into this new sermon series that, uh, this Sunday and the next three Sundays is a sermon series called Light Breaks Through. Light Breaks Through. And, and today, our, our key verse is Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. In fact, it's really the key verse for the whole series, all four Sundays. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And today's uh, focus is hope for a Savior. And you see the key scripture there. And I want to show you today from the Old Testament how the Israelites in the Old Testament were similar to Philadelphia Eagles fans today. <laughs> All right? Do you, do, you, do you have that? Now, I want you to grab that and put it in the back of your minds that the Israelites from the Old Testament have something similar to Philadelphia Eagles fans Today, all right, and I will show. I promise I will show you that that similarity from the Old Testament. It, it's right here in the Word of God. So, all right, let's get ready. Hope for people living in darkness. So the verse says, "The people who walked in darkness." All right, they're, they're never going to recover from that now, are they? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And, and we're coming from the Old Testament, and we're talking about the Israelites. We're talking about the children of Israel, God's chosen people. These are the, this is a nation that started with Abraham, and then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and, and developed into the 12 tribes of Israel 
uh, which developed into, you know, this gigantic nation, millions of people. And, and this nation of Israel was, was to follow God and to worship God only, and they were to uh, be God's, God's chosen people. They were to be uh, among all the nations of the earth. They were to be blessed, and they were to be uh, 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 prosperous because they were God's people, and they followed, they followed God, and they worshiped God. And, and as we read the Old Testament, we realize that uh, sometimes God's people did that, but most times God's people didn't do that at all. They didn't do what they were intended to do. And so God's people asked for kings to reign over them. And God said, no, I don't want you to have a king. I, I want to be your king. God wanted to be their only king. And the people said, no, all the other nations around us have, have kings, and we want to have a king too. And so God relented, and God said, okay, I will allow you, I will, I will appoint for you kings uh, to reign over you. And the first king of, of the nation of Israel was this man called Saul, and, and his reign really was, was, didn't really go very well. And then the, the king that came after him was this young man who came out of the uh, fields looking after sheep, and his name was David. And, and David was probably the, one of the greatest kings that Israel ever, ever saw, and, and the nation of Israel rises to great power and glory under King David. His son, Solomon, comes along after him and, and reigns. And at, it was at this point that the, rich, uh, the riches and the power and the glory of this nation, Israel, were unsurpassed. They, it was the greatest nation in all the world at that time in power and glory and influence. Um, so Solomon, uh, David was king. Now, if you can keep your, think about keeping your, your date straight here. David is king like a thousand years before Jesus was born. So just sort of keep that in your mind, a thousand years. David was king a thousand years before Jesus was born. His, uh, his son Solomon was king around 965 before Jesus was born, B.C., before Christ. And after Solomon things just go downhill terribly for the nation of Israel. And, and the kingdom is divided uh, between ten tribes in the north and, and two tribes in the south. And, and things just go from, from bad to worse. The Israelites turn to idol worship and they reject God uh, and they, they refuse to, to follow God in, in all that, all that um, God is, is uh, calling them to do. And, and they refuse to follow God in, in how he calls them to, to worship and to live. So the Israelites turn to idol worship. They completely, they completely reject God. And God sends his word to them, to his people, and, and even to the kings through, through prophets. And, and God appoints and anoints prophets and says, here is the word of God for you, nation. Here is the word of God for you, king. And, and this prophet is what you should say to the people. And so God gives his word to prophets. God calls his people, Israel and, and Judah, Israel, the ten tribes in the north, Judah, the two tribes in the south, to repent from their sin and come back to him. But time and again, they refused. In fact, they took the prophets and they stoned them and they killed them and mistreated them because the prophets were giving bad news. And, and 
And so God begins to promise, if you don't turn back to me, if you don't turn away from worshiping idols, bad things are going to happen. Judgment's going to happen. Judgment's going to come on you as a nation if you don't turn back to God. And they still refuse to turn back to God. And I'm, I'm condensing, you know, like hundreds of years into, into 30 seconds here. You can read this in uh, like 1 Kings and 2 Kings as, you, as you're reading in the, in the books in the Old Testament. And so as God's people refuse to turn back to him, they continue to worship idols. And the Bible says judgment comes. And judgment comes on this nation in the form of other nations' armies coming in and just completely defeating them, uh, hauling them off as, as slaves and, uh, or killing them, and, and their, their nation is completely defeated. So God sends, God sends his word to, to people through, through the prophets, and, and we see that, that especially, um, well, first of all, 2 Kings chapter 17, the Bible says, and the Bible clearly explains a lot of things to us. Uh, a lot of people say, well, I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand what the Bible says. There are many times the Bible clearly explains why things happened. And, and 2 Kings uh, 17 is a really good example of this where, where uh uh, Israel and Judah are defeated. They're hauled off into slavery by foreign kingdoms. And then the Bible says, 2 Kings 17, this is why it happened. This is why it occurred. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it explains there, uh, the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God. They did secretly against the Lord, things that weren't right. They did wicked things. They served, they bowed down and served idols, and they, they despised God. They despised his statutes. They despised his covenant. And, and um, they uh, went after false idols, and they themselves became false. They followed the nations that were around them. And, and we see that, that uh, we have a clear understanding of why judgment came on his people. God, God clearly says, this is what's going to happen. In fact, uh, throughout uh, the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, if you're looking in your Bible, the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah were principal prophets that God sent to warn his people of coming judgment. And through Jeremiah, God compares the wicked Israelites to an, to an unfaithful wife. He said, we, have a, we had a covenant. We had an agreement. It was like a marriage covenant. But they deserted God. And, and God says they started worshiping other gods. They were like an unfaithful spouse. They were like someone who, who left, left their spouse and, and deserted them. God says they were like a woman who left her husband and became a prostitute. God compared his relationship with his people to, to this marriage covenant because he said, I, I was going to be their God, they would be his people, and they left their first love. They broke that covenant with God, and instead they ran after worthless, worthless things. And, and we see in the Bible where Jeremiah has been called this weeping prophet because he's got such bad news he's got such gloomy news for for the people and he's telling them if you don't repent this is what's going to happen if you don't turn away from your sin this is what's going to happen and so and so judgment comes on on uh the people of israel the first judgment comes on the the 10 tribes up in the north in in the year 
720 BC. So David was king at 1,000. Solomon was king at 965. Now we're jumping ahead, you know, another several hundred years. 720 BC, the Assyrian army came in and deported all of the Israelites as slaves. And in fact, history shows that, that most or, or none of those Israelites ever came back. They're called the 10 lost tribes of Israel. They never were able to come back to their homeland again. Then the second judgment comes on the two tribes down in the south. This was um, around the year 586 B.C. The second judgment comes. They're defeated by the Babylonian army and again killed and deported as slaves uh, to the kingdom of Babylon. And, and so God's people found themselves either, either dead or working as slaves in a foreign land, serving a foreign king, and their nation was gone, their joy was gone, their hope was gone. It must have seemed like they were just trapped in darkness. It must have seemed like they were trapped in a never-ending midnight. Always pessimistic, always expecting the worst, always expecting that defeat was going to come, never expecting that they were going to succeed. Sort of like some Philadelphia sports fans. So I've been a Philadelphia sports fan most of my life, and I've cheered for the Phillies, and I've, been che I've cheered for the 76ers, and I've cheered for the Flyers, and I've cheered for the Eagles. And many times it feels like our, our teams have let us down. <laughs> and it, it's just the way it is. And, and, you know, a year like this comes along for the Eagles, and we're like nine and what? Nine and one, something like that. And, you know, it's like someone, you almost aren't sure if you should be hopeful or, or is something going to happen? And it's just going to be like every other year. Um, and I think the Israelites were a lot like that. Like, could we hope for something? Nah, we can't hope for anything. We're always going to lose. We're always going to expect the worst. But in the midst of that gloom, in the midst of that doom, in the midst of all those messages of judgment and all those messages of defeat and, and, and how God was, God was punishing them for their sins, and, and they're hauled away as slaves into a, a foreign land and, and their, their nation is, is gone and defeated. In the midst of all that, we find several things. We find, first of all, that God was with his people even in those foreign lands. God was with his people even in that darkness. Um, I wonder if you ever experienced God's presence with you even in the most desperate and dark and hopeless times. Yeah, I bet some of you can say, yeah, I've experienced God's presence. Because God... Through those hard, dark times, God continued to comfort and bless and speak to his people. And, and God sent prophets with words of hope and encouragement. And Jeremiah, the same one who gave messages of gloom and doom and, and the one who is called the weeping prophet, God also gave him words of hope and encouragement. It's like, Okay, Jeremiah, what are you going to be today? You're going to be the gloomy one. You're going to be the hopeful one. Well, what is it? And, and God was giving the same Jeremiah, God was giving him 
words also of hope and encouragement. And, and uh, you see, Jeremiah uh, 24 and, and verse 5. I'm not going to read all of it. Some of it is in the, on your uh, green paper. But, but part of it says, this is the word of God to the Israelites through Jeremiah, where God says, I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up, and I will not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. And so God begins to send words of hope and encouragement. And Jeremiah 29, verses 10 to 14, awesome verses. You ought to memorize these verses. If you haven't, you ought to memorize these. Where, where God says to his people, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And, and God begins to plant seeds of, of hope and encouragement and, and telling his people that, that there is something better coming. There is a more hopeful time coming. And we see then that God begins to break through the darkness to give hope to his people. And God promises a savior, a coming savior, a deliverer, a messiah. And, and some of the most hope-filled, encouraging verses in the Bible really come from from some of the gloomiest prophets. Uh, so like Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, God tells his people where the Savior is going to be born. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Isaiah chapter 7, the, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin shall conceive. So we know where the Savior is going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. We know how he's going to be born of a virgin. Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. He would be a ruling and reigning king. He would be a prince. He would himself be God. And then Jeremiah 23 and verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up, raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. So this Savior is going to be, is going to be a king. That's who he's going to be. Now, the tricky thing about these, these uh, prophecies, if you look at them on your paper, it's Micah, it's Isaiah, it's Jeremiah speaking, speaking these words of prophecy. And, and Micah and Isaiah's words were written and given by God 700 years before Jesus was born. And Jeremiah lived and prophesied and wrote these words 600 years before Jesus' birth. Can you imagine getting a word from God for something that's going to happen 700 years from now. So it's like, hey, Mannheim, hey, Lidditz, hey, Landisville, there's going to be a big revival coming. A, a leader's going to be coming, and he's going he's gonna to preach, and there's going to be a great revival coming. Uh, but it's 700 years from now. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> so let's see. Today is 
November 26, 2017. So there's going to be a revival coming, but it's not going to be until 2717, 700 years from now. And imagine going around to preach that message. There's going to be a great thing coming. There's a great leader, a Savior's coming 700 years from now. History tells us that some Israelites do eventually begin to come back to their homeland, especially uh, down to the south. They begin, to be, they begin rebuilding their cities again. But history also shows us in the Bible that, that God's people didn't follow him with all their hearts the way God intended. And even though some of the Israelites did come back and start rebuilding in that time before Jesus Israel was always a weak nation and always ruled by other powers. And, and we see in our Bibles this between Old Testament and New Testament, between Malachi and, and last book of the Old Testament and Matthew, first book of the New Testament. There's this gap. There's this gap of hundreds of years. There's this gap of 400 years between Old Testament and New Testament. It's, it's sort of called the uh, the... 400 years of, of silence. And in that time, Palestine, that, that whole area was ruled by, was ruled by Persians, and then, then they were thrown out, and the Greeks came, and then they were thrown out, and Syrians came, and then they were thrown out, and the Romans came. And so uh, nation after nation came and sent their armies in, and each kingdom and empire rose and fell in those 400 years. Another took its place. And yet, through all that, we see that God was still with his people. And God had made promises, and God kept pointing his people forward to the future. And some of God's people read and taught and believed God's promises that a king is coming, a savior is coming. They said it back 700 years ago. Hey, it must be coming soon. A king is coming, a deliverer is coming. And, and some people were looking you know, as much as hundreds of years into the future and, and hoping and waiting and expecting God's promises would come true. You know, Galatians chapter 4 says really simply, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. When the fullness of time had come. And, and we, we read other scriptures in the Bible that says that, that, that God doesn't reckon time like we reckon time, like like we hear a prophecy or we hear a prediction and we think, wow, that'd be great. I guess it's going to happen tomorrow or it's going to happen next year. And sometimes God's timing just isn't our timing. Did you ever notice that? Sometimes God's timing is just a little bit different. You know, we like it next year and God says it might happen in 20 years. It might happen in 700 years. And God's timing when the fullness of time had come. That meant when God's timing was finally ready, when it, when it was finally in God's time to do this. It was the right time. It was the time, finally, of God's grace and blessing so that the Savior could be born. And, and also, then again, Isaiah 9, 2. And when it says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, I want you to understand really clearly here today that the great light was Jesus. That great light was Jesus. 
He was the one who, who brought light to the world, light to darkness, and, and hope to the world finally. And, and Jesus, when he was here on earth, actually had the, had the boldness to say, I am the light of the world. And I don't think any of us would have, would have the nerve or the boldness to say, I am the light of the world. But Jesus did. And, and actually, we're going to talk about that next Sunday. Merle's going to be preaching, and he's going to be talking about how and why did Jesus say he's the light of the world. So you don't want to miss it. You've got to be here next Sunday. So God sovereignly chose that time and that place and that young girl, Mary. God sovereignly chose that stable. God sovereignly chose those, those shepherds. God sovereignly chose that year for Jesus to break through the darkness, to break through the hopelessness, to break through the despair that people were living under. And it was like the dawning of a whole brand new day after a, a nighttime that had lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, where do we find darkness and hopelessness today? I think sometimes I, I struggle to identify and understand with the Israelites and their hopelessness and helplessness. Do you ever realize that Americans don't like to be helpless? You ever think about that? I read a book recently, just for fun. It, it's called Understanding the Americans, a handbook for visitors to the United States. It's like, I was going to go visit the United States, so I might as well understand what they're like. And it, it's sort of silly because we know who we and what we are, don't we? But people coming from other nations don't know necessarily who we are and how we operate. In fact, um, a few, say, more than 10 years ago now, I went on a trip to Kenya and Uganda, and, and someone gave me a little book about Kenyan culture and the things you ought to do and the things you should never do in, in the nation of Kenya. And it was very, very helpful because it was like, oh, that's really good to know. So I don't go and embarrass everyone and do something silly in that culture, a completely different culture than, than our culture. But we are, you know, so immersed in our own culture, we don't even think about the things we do because that's just the way it is, right? We're, we're Americans, and, and we do things the way we do them. Um, but in this handbook for visitors to the United States, one of the key, uh, the very first characteristic that it lists for Americans is this concept of individualism. Individualism, the idea that I'll take care of myself and my family. I'll solve my own problems. I'll work harder and Get her done. I'll invent a new and better way of doing things. That'll resolve the issues or, or solve the problems. And, and individualism works itself into our vocabulary. It works itself into our mindset. It works itself into the phrases we use every day. The Lord helps those who help themselves. Yeah, yeah. Stand on your own two feet. Yeah. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps yeah and so the 
individualistic, take care of myself, solve my own problems mindset. I think is one reason it's so hard for us to comprehend being helpless and hopeless. Because in a way, as we read God's word, as we encounter God, we know that as sinners, we are lost, we are helpless, we are hopeless before God. With no solution of our own except the plan of salvation that God offers. And we hear those words hopeless and we naturally assume that that means someone who's poor, someone who's homeless, someone who's in the downtown of our cities. But, you know, there's also a tremendous amount of hopelessness and despair in every layer of society around us, every bit of our culture, even in the suburbs, even the, in the rural areas. And, and we see hopelessness, we see despair, we see this evidenced by, by this booming problem of drug addictions and alcoholism and suicides. And this isn't just lower classes, this is middle and upper classes as well. And we realize that without God, without God's solution, without God's plan of salvation for us, that he developed before the creation of the world, without him, we are helpless, we are hopeless. The, and the first of the 12 basic values of the Dove International Family is knowing God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, and living by his word is the foundation, the foundation, say foundation, foundation of life. Knowing God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, and living by his word. This is the solution for our helpless situation as sinners. This is the solution. So there are no good works. There are no giving. There's no volunteering. There's no going to meetings. There's no looking good on the outside that will earn you anything with God. But to come to God admitting you're a sinner, lost, helpless in your own power to save yourself, believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and choosing to follow him as master, as king, as God the Son. I wonder if you've ever experienced this thing called hopelessness. This, this word hope is a, is a really interesting word. Because it's the presence of hope that keeps you going, keeps you motivated, keeps you alive. And it's the lack of hope that brings death, either literally or figuratively. Hope, what does hope do? Well, most deer hunters won't go into the woods Monday morning if they don't have hope, right? <laughs> most investors don't invest in a project or a company or a stock without hope, without the hope of a return or reward of some sort. Hope. Most employees don't go to work without the hope of a paycheck, right? I'll just come to work. We'll work that out later. No. <laughs> I need to have an expectation of a paycheck. 
Most cooks at home don't spend hours working in the kitchen unless they have hope to enjoy what they've created, right? Without hope, life and living are, are dark and, and desperate. And God's people hoped and prayed and waited for up to 700 years for God to fulfill his promises and send his son Jesus. And I wonder this morning for each of you where, where God has called you to hope and trust and pray and keep on walking forward. But what promises that God has given you, you haven't seen fulfilled yet. To keep on watching, keep on hoping, keep on expecting, keep on praying. Where has, is God calling you to keep on? For Maybe it's for days or months or years. Maybe it's praying for someone's salvation. Maybe it's praying for a child. Maybe it's praying for a neighbor or a co-worker and praying for them to come to Jesus. Maybe it's praying for, for strongholds in your, your town, your community, your nation to be broken down in Jesus' name. And God's calling you to press in and persevere and pray. And maybe you won't see the results of that in five years or ten years or maybe even in your lifetime, but God's calling you to press in. And you don't know what's happening in the spirit world because it's maybe uh, invisible to us and, and we don't see strongholds being broken down because they're invisible to us, but, but the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Maybe it's for revival in your own life. Maybe it's for revival in our church. Maybe it's for revival in our region. But God's calling us to step forward. Where is God calling you to step in, to keep on walking, keep on watching, keep on hoping, keep on expecting? In January, we are calling Newport Church to 21 days of prayer and fasting together. To pray for a new year to pray together for common needs, common goals as a church and a community, to hear God's voice more clearly. So just tuck that in the back of your mind and say, God, how are you calling me to connect with that? 21 days of prayer and fasting, kicking off Sunday, January 8th. Where is God speaking to you? What's God calling you to? In what areas have you, have you given up? In what areas have you given up hope? Jeremiah 29. God has good plans for you to give you future and a hope. Is there someone near you who needs an infusion of hope? Because I believe that we Christians ought to be so filled with hope and the, and the light of Jesus that it ought to be pouring and bubbling out of us and, and touching lots of people around us. I believe that Christians ought to, I believe that Christians ought to be the most optimistic people on the face of the earth because we know what God is doing. We have the power of God in our lives and we know who wins in the end, don't we? I believe we ought to be the most faith-filled, optimistic people that that the world has ever seen. And if you would like to claim some hope-filled scriptures this week. The Bible is full of them, but I, I picked out four of them for you this morning. And, and I believe that, that maybe one or two of these verses are for one or two of you here this morning because 
perhaps in one way or another you're in a in a hopeless place or or you've given up hope in a certain area Isaiah 41 10 says fear not for I am with you God says I am with you be not dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you I will help you I will uphold you with my righteous right hand James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. James 4.7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? As we pray together, I believe that God is speaking to you specifically about something, whether it's an area where you've given up hope, whether it's an area of need in your life, whether it's an area where God has been challenging you to step out in faith, to step out in faith to pray, whether it's uh, for another person who's close to you, who needs an infusion of hope. I want to pray this morning that each of us can be filled with fresh new hope and strength and grace so that we can be ministers to others in the name of Jesus. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that because of you, we can be filled with hope. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit comes to fill us and anoint us and fill us with your peace, your grace, your hope. Thank you, that, Lord, that we don't have to work, we don't have to stress, we don't have to earn favor, we don't have to earn relationship with you. All we have to do is come to you, Lord, turning away from our sins. All we have to do is believe in Jesus' death on the cross as punishment for our sins. I just want to challenge you this morning. If you've never believed in Jesus, he invites you today to come to him in faith. God is alive. His spirit is here. He hears us when we pray. And maybe you would just like to pray along, maybe just quietly in your heart. Pray along with me. Jesus, I believe in you. I turn away from all that I know to be wrong. I trust in you as my Savior that your death on the cross was for me and my sins. Please come into my life. Forgive me and clean me. Help me to follow you and to live for you each day. So, Father, we receive new hope for you today, from you today. Thank you, Lord, that you have not left us as orphans, but you give us your spirit, you give us your word, you give us a church family. And Lord, this week, we choose to walk in hope and in faith and peace and in victory. like to be here to pray with you. There will be prayer ministers here at the front to pray with you this morning. If you'd like 
someone to agree with you in prayer for whatever is on your heart. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, believing in Jesus, we invite you to come and have someone agree with you. We're going to bless you and send you out, but we're launched out from here each Sunday morning to be his missionaries, to be his ambassadors, to be his representatives. And so, Lord, I commission this church family again as we go to be the missionaries, to be the representatives, to be the ambassadors for Jesus wherever we go. Lord, that the light, the hope, the peace, the love of Jesus would pour out of us and touch each person around us who needs a touch from you. Lord, let us be contagious Christians today as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Come forward for prayer. We'd love to pray with you this morning.